This morning we will study a well-known part of the Sermon on the Mount. This should be familiar to most of you. Jesus addresses the sin of materialism. He's encouraging his disciples to consider the way they think about money and possessions. And we're going to begin reading Matthew 6, verse 19. This is God's word. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or... He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the old 1960s television series, Batman with Adam West, there was a common scenario. The villain, usually the Joker or the Riddler, would often prevent Batman with a challenge They would have two people Batman cared about. Both of them would be in danger and time was running out. And it looked as if Batman would only have time to save one of them. And it was always a cliffhanger as the show then cut to commercial. And the audience was left wondering, which one is Batman going to save? Which person does he care about more? Somehow Batman always managed to save them both. Well, Jesus doesn't leave us with that option. He says, you can serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve both. Choose. And this knowledge is so important to Jesus that he uses three different illustrations to make the exact same point. Two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. First, Jesus says, we can lay up or store up for ourselves two types of treasures. Treasure is something we value, something that we desire. And according to Jesus, there are treasures on earth and there are treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven are durable. Treasures on earth are decaying and vulnerable. And preachers often illustrate this by asking, what are you planning to take with you when you die? And that's a fair question. It's a good question. It actually echoes 
something that both Job and Solomon say in the Bible. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Right? In other words, I'm not taking anything with me when I die, right? And so for this reason, Jesus says that storing up treasures on earth would be foolish. Many of them are going to be lost even before we die. And so he says, instead, I want you to store up treasures in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What does he mean to store up treasures in heaven? Storing up treasures is investment language, right? So another way we could ask this question is, what am I investing in? What am I storing up? And probably Jesus intends for us to think of this as an investment in God's mission and in God's people. Because, as a friend of mine told me once, the one thing I can take with me to heaven is other people. Maybe the only thing. And so Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. Second, Jesus talks about two types of eyes. He says a healthy eye and a bad eye. The person with a healthy eye can see clearly. The person with a bad eye sees only darkness. But of the three, this is the most confusing. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, I think he's talking about vision or purposeful direction, okay? We tend to move towards the thing that we're looking at. And this is why businesses and churches and even schools and families, they have visions, right? We say this is what we're headed towards. This is what we want to see happen. This is what we value, right? And we move towards what we're focused on as an organization, as a church. Why do people get lost in the woods even when it feels like they're going in the right direction? It's because what tends to happen when people are in the woods is that they're focused on objects closest to them. So they're looking at that tree there, and they walk towards it. And then they look at the next tree, and they walk towards that. And it feels like they're going in the same direction, but actually, because they're focusing on objects closer to them, instead of something farther away, they're not going in the same direction at all. You can test this. If you go stand in a field, and you look down at your feet and you start trying to walk in a straight line, when you look up, what you'll find is that you're not walking in a straight line at all. Your focal point was too close. And so this is why in the old days they would teach people to follow the North Star or something way off in the distance to keep them from getting lost. Because if you focus on something close... It just doesn't work. And so I think Jesus is asking us a diagnostic question here by asking what type of eye, what what are we focused on? What am I 
looking at? What am I headed towards? What am I longing for? What am I obsessed with? If not the vision of God's kingdom, then how am I supposed to be a source of light for others? And remember, he's already talked about light, right? Shining our light before men. How can anyone follow me if I keep getting distracted along the way? And that's the second illustration. Finally, Jesus teaches that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. The word serve is the verb form of the word slave in Greek. The word doulos. Jesus uses this specific word to make a specific point. You may be able to work two jobs for two different employers, but a slave has only one master. And that's the point that Jesus is making. Now, before you get tripped up by the word slave in the Bible, I want you to notice that this is a chosen slavery and a chosen master. Okay, It's not forced servitude, but it is different than just having a job. And so this final point, what Jesus is getting at, is the value or the worth of each option. And he's presented two options, right? Kind of the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. Only one of them is durable. Only one of them provides lasting benefits to his disciples. But only one of them is also truly worthy of our allegiance or our loyalty. So Jesus is teaching that money specifically can become a rival God. We enslave ourselves to it willingly. And there are going to be moments when we must choose. We must decide who gets my loyalty. And if we're going to be honest, it's incredibly easy for us to get off trail. Right? It's incredibly easy to seek our ultimate security in money at any given moment. And it's important for you to know it's not only the wealthy that struggle with this. Jesus is not speaking to a bunch of wealthy people when he says these words. And sometimes we think that if we don't have a lot of money that we're off the hook. This is not about me. Right? It's actually not true. It's not only the wealthy that struggle with this. In fact, young children who have missed meals or who have felt extreme hunger at some point in their life will often unconsciously hoard food when they do get it later in life. And that also is a problem. There's an anxiety that comes from not feeling like we have enough of something, of anything, And Jesus is actually going to address that specifically next week. But this morning, I think we need to think clearly about how to apply this challenge. Where is our treasure? What has our attention? Who or what in our life is getting our loyalty? And so 
it would be easy for us to just kind of walk away with the impression that money itself is evil. And that rich people must be evil because they have lots of money. That's a really simplistic and completely missing the point way to think about this. The Bible actually encourages us in many places to be good stewards with our money. We are encouraged to invest wisely. We are encouraged to save. We are encouraged to give. And we can't do any of that without handling money, right? So money itself is not evil or inherently bad. As with everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus wants us to do is He wants us to look at our hearts. And one of the applications of this text is certainly that we should avoid materialism, right? Um, Obsessing over the things of this world. But even that actually falls short of the meaning of the text. Because materialism is just one bad form or one form of storing up bad treasures. And ultimately, the point that Jesus is making is not about bad treasures, it's about good treasures, More important to Jesus is that we see the world from the perspective of God's kingdom. What is it that matters? What is it that will last? What is worth my time and effort and money? This doesn't mean that we can't have things, that we can't enjoy the world that God has created, that we can't even spend money on ourselves sometimes. That's not the point. But our attitude must be that these things will not last and they are not our ultimate happiness or joy. And we must be willing to give up things or lose things if that's what God ordains. There's a scene in the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean when there's a ship that's trying to get away from the Black Pearl, which is the pirate ship. And the captain of the first ship orders the crew to throw any unnecessary items overboard, right? Why is he doing this? It's because if you make the ship lighter, you make the ship faster, right? In fact, the same thing happens actually in the Bible. In Acts 27, Paul is being taken to Rome. It's his final voyage. And the ship he's on encounters a violent storm. And the men decide to make the ship lighter by throwing the cargo overboard in hopes of saving the crew. And I think this is the attitude that Jesus is calling us to have. It's not that money is bad. It's not that stuff is bad. But it's that we're headed for a greater existence and inheritance in glory And everything that is around us right now is okay to lose because it's not lasting anyway. Right? So even pirates will throw their gold overboard if it means saving their lives. Reminds me of something that missionary Jim Elliott is famous for saying. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what is the treasure that we cannot lose? 
Simply put, it's the kingdom of God. God Himself and His people. Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that everything else is worth losing for the sake of the kingdom of God. For the sake of God and His kingdom. And this is kind of a difficult... I mean, if we're going to be honest, this is a kind of a difficult teaching for our culture because we are obsessed with money and possessions. Now, you may not feel like it because you can always think of people who are more obsessed with money and possessions. There's always somebody richer than you, right? But like by the world's standards... Nobody in this room is actually poor by the world standards, right? Because there are people who are lucky to get one meal a day. We, we know this in our heads, but we forget it. But it's, it's not even that we, that we eat well or that we have stuff. It's things like we celebrate Thanksgiving on a Thursday, and then we spend the very next day completely obsessed with finding good deals on all the stuff that we don't have yet. Only in America, right? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for providing for all my needs. And then the next day, it's like, what can I find? And I, this is me too, okay? It's definitely me too. And so what we need is we need God's Spirit to convince us that the treasure that we're being offered in Christ really is far greater than anything that the world offers us. Because... There's no way we're going to take our eyes off of this unless we see the value here is greater. You go back to what Jesus says in Matthew 13, right? The treasure hidden in the field, the, the pearl of great value. I'm not going to sell everything for that unless I see it as something of great value. And so all of what I'm telling you, like it will, it will go right in one ear and out the other this morning if you walk away not seeing Jesus as more valuable than you, than you did when you came in. It's the only way this changes. For me as well. We need God's Spirit to convince us that He's better than whatever it is. And the best place for that to happen is at the cross. Jesus literally lost everything for our sake when He went to the cross. They left Jesus with only a loincloth and a crown of thorns on His head. The soldiers played dice for His clothes, even His undergarment, which means they literally took the shirt off His back. He lost all material possessions. He lost all his friends and companions, all his dignity. And even for a moment, his relationship with his father was stretched. Why? 
because he treasured his father and his people more than anything else that the world had to offer him. And so my question for us is, do we believe Jesus did that? Do you know all the promises that God makes to His people? Do you believe those promises? Have you taken the time lately to compare those promises to what the world is offering you? Listen to just a few of them. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And what does being saved mean? Philippians 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 1 John 2, And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. And what does that look like? It looks like this, Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Did you know that by some estimates, there are over 7,000 promises made by God to His people in the Bible? And if you don't believe God when He promises you these things, if you don't believe that He is better, that He is offering you something greater than what this world has to offer, if you don't believe that, then you're wasting your time here this morning. But if you do believe Him, and I do, We need to take a moment and evaluate our priorities. That's what I need to be doing. Because even though I love and I trust God and I believe His promises, many days I wake up forgetting and I function as if I'm a slave to this world. And Jesus speaks to His disciples. It's a simple, a simple dilemma. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want want your promises to mean more to me than they do. I want your promises to be enough. I want to be able to throw everything else overboard knowing that it's expendable. It doesn't last. Would you help me, Father, to focus my attention on your mission and on the people in my life? I confess to you that I've done a poor job of that. I pray for help. 
Would You help us as a church be a place of light, a vision, a place where the treasures of heaven are valued above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have asked uh, Josh to to replay Be Thou My Vision because it fits so well, uh, the text. So if you'd stand with us, let's, let's sing.